friends, welcome to another episode of Living in Hope. I am your host, Cassie Barrett. Okay, so I found this guy on Instagram. He makes the coolest videos. You'll have to go check him out. Um, I'm going to totally slaughter his last name. It's a difficult one. Um, Derek Lullaberti? Lullaberti? Something like that. (laughs) But he is such a cool dude. You guys are going to love this interview. He is so passionate about his recovery. He had an addiction with alcohol and it almost broke his marriage. And he's going to share about that piece with you guys, that very hard and difficult time he went through. But he has given me in this interview so much awesome wisdom. And I know you guys are going to gain so much from this conversation as well. So let's go ahead and dive in. right, you guys, give a big welcome to Derek. I am so happy to have you here and to get to know you and your story more. Thank you so much for joining me today. Thanks for having me. I'm really excited to just to get to know you because we don't really know each other at all. Let's just be honest. Not not, not at all. (laughs) I do know a bit of your story, though. So I am really excited to dig into that and to really hear from your heart more about your story and how you got to where you are today. So let's go ahead and have you introduce yourself. Tell us a little bit about who you are. Sure. Uh, Well, my name is Derek Laliberti. I live... I live in northeastern Indiana, so way on the other side of the country from Washington State. Um, I moved here, gosh, 20 years ago this year uh, to go to college. Actually transferred from my uh, junior college to come here my junior year to play soccer. Oh, wow. Yeah, so I played soccer, college soccer here, and met my wife. And So are you still a big fan of soccer? Uh, I mean, I'm a very, very casual fan. But uh, <laughs> casual fan, yeah, I like yeah that. that's good. <laughs> yeah, I, yeah, I got a um, 11 year old son who's really into sports, and that's sort of brought me back into my passion for being a fan, I guess, and watching him play. That's great. So, tell us, what do you do for work? Well, I do a number of things. I work for a a roofing company that's that's a tech. It's, it's called Roofal, and what we do is we give people a quote immediately just by entering their address into our site. So yeah, I'm the the uh, technically the chief sales officer for that company and the chief sales officer for for their other company, uh, Hoffman Weber Construction. And then I have a consulting business on the side called Disruptor. So. <laughs> the man of many trades, that's yeah. for sure. Well, you also make videos, is that correct? Because that's how I found you through one of those really cool put together videos that you had on social media. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I've been blessed to be able to work with a lot of great videographers over over the past few years and it's really an interesting story how that that all came to be, but Okay, I got gotcha. you. I was totally thinking you were the videographer. So you're not the videographer. No, right? no I'm not. You know, th- throughout the, you know, probably the last like six or seven years, I've, I used to work for a software company and we had a, a show, you know, like a YouTube show slash really more of a LinkedIn. We did a lot of marketing through LinkedIn. So I shot so many videos, like 180 videos with our technical staff. So I, I used to really being on camera quite a bit and writing storyboards and things like that. I led a ministry called Celebrate Recovery. So when I did Celebrate Recovery, we shot videos for that to promote it. And the 
the church that I go to, which is where Celebrate, the Celebrate Recovery I go to is, we shot a video for Celebrate Recovery using the videographer that the church had. He's very, very talented, amazing, um, with a couple of guys. And I, that was the first video I, I wrote and filmed it with him. And then we're like, hey, we should do a couple more of these. <laughs> like, now we just kind of do them for fun. Call them passion projects. And we just do just do a couple of couple a year. And, and No, I love that. That is so cool that you guys do that. I think it's a great thing to do. It's another great way of getting your story out there. And your guys' style, the way you go about making those videos just really catches your uh, people's attention. It catched my attention. And that's why I have you on here. Right. But a video, it's another way of catching people's attention. Yeah, thanks. Thanks. Yeah, I, I really, really enjoy doing them. And you know, I love the the thought of storytelling, especially you know when it's true and genuine, which is what what I'm trying to convey. So, well, with that, let's go ahead and have you dive into your story. Tell us about how you got to where you are today, where you have a strong relationship with Christ. Sure. Well, my relationship with Christ started when I was you know really young. My my mother really encouraged me to go to, to go to church, to attend church with her. I, I would imagine my, my father as well, but my father was actually killed in a car accident when I was really young. I was, I was eight years old and I was in the truck with him and my brother, you know, in the accident, we were all in the accident together. And that, you know, I, I'd gone to church, attended church, but that's really, I think where faith began for me, that, that idea of faith. But, you know, as you get older and, you know, you, you, you do different things, you experience new things, you know, you're like, you know, I was pretty set in the fact that because that one event, one single event happened that, you know, I, I essentially had a free pass to go to heaven. And I didn't really take my faith seriously until, you know, later on in my life when I would consider, you know, my experience of hitting rock bottom to really come full circle. So that's when things sort of took on a new meeting. You know, I had this almost resentment. I was really, really angry with God, you know, as I got older and realized that all my friends had this relationship with their father and I didn't. I mean, it hurt. It really, really hurt. And even though I had so much faith, you know, I, I still didn't have that that close relationship with God. And then I moved to Indiana and things didn't really work out the way that I wanted them to work out. And we all have expectations. And somebody once said, the result of unmet expectations equals anger. I had a lot of anger for a lot of different things. And it's probably because I've had so many expectations, which is interesting because, you know, I know we'll talk about hope later and there's, they're really, really closely aligned. But when I transferred from a junior college in Minnesota to come to Indiana, you know, I had this expectation that I was going to play for a top division two soccer program. Uh, it's actually called IPFW at the time. Now it's called PFW, which stands for Indiana University, Purdue University, Fort Wayne. At the time, they were a like top 10 Division II school. It was awesome. They went really far in the national tournament. I was really excited about it. I had a great junior college career, did really well, was recruited and came to Fort Wayne. And the first week I was here, I mean, I put so much pressure on myself to be successful in the soccer field and so much emphasis like on, you know, how I judged my life was so closely aligned with soccer that when it didn't really work out, it was really devastating because the first week I got here after the entire transfer process, they said, um, hey, we're going to we're going to move to a division one school. This was really devastating because, you know, they eliminate postseason. You basically just play a schedule and you're 
you're done. There's no, there's nothing. And the whole reason I went there was to go to like play in the national tournament. It didn't work out. It just, and I, you know, I played my, I finished my career there. I, I played every single game and, you know, I hung my head high and, you know, tried to put on a good face, but really started to struggle. Like everything just sort of started to happen underneath it. Like the subconscious just started to really compile bad things and started drinking. And it was like my way of just sort of dealing with the problems. And when you move to a totally new place, like socializing to me, I, I never had to do it like to meet people because I always knew people. I didn't know anybody. I came here by myself. So I was like, I drank to, to meet people, to socialize. I drank to you know, have the courage to talk to girls and then. And how old were you at this time? I was 20 years old. So, yeah, I didn't know anybody, you know, a junior in college. Everybody's been there for a couple of years. They know everybody. Yeah, yeah all that just, can be very difficult. Just yeah. coming to a new school, not knowing anybody, let alone a new state. That could be really hard. Yeah, I stopped caring. You know, my grades sucked. Sorry, I'd be very blunt with you. My grades were terrible. And you know, I just didn't really care about my health anymore. I just drank and I found myself like, you know, drinking on the weekends, I think is probably pretty normal for people in that era. You know, that Saturday and Friday became Thursday, which came Wednesday, which came Tuesday, became, well, it's Monday night football. I mean, I've literally found a reason to drink every single day. After my father died, his dad was so important to me. We had such a good relationship. My grandfather, I worked for him. For me, like my grandpa was just my hero. I came home after my senior year of soccer over Christmas break, and he told me that he had cancer and stage four, and he's going to die. And I, I was just rocked, just rocked by it, rocked by it. And that was the last time. Yeah, I ever spent any time with him. The last time I saw him was over Christmas break that year. And my grandma called me in late March of the you know next year and said, "Hey, you better get home. He's not going to make it through the night, and he wants to see you." And we, we, you know, we talked. We talked all the time. I mean, two or three times a week, I'd call him. He was my go-to. Like you know, especially when I was going through this downward spiral, you know, I could call my grandpa and say, "Can you give me some money?" Or you know, "Can you help me with something?" You just no questions asked, you know, just always waiting for me. But I flew home and I, I was on a buddy pass. This is, they used to have these things called buddy passes, but you had to fly on standby. Oh yeah. I know what you're talking about. They sort of got rid of them after 9-11. They did get rid of them after 9-11, but so I had to fly standby and there wasn't room for me on the flight. So I had to wait for the next flight. Well, because I missed that flight, I didn't get to see him. Oh man. When oh, I got there, I'm the sorry. funeral home hadn't picked him up yet because they were waiting for me. I just had so much resentment, you know, like to lose my dad when I was young and then lose my grandfather. Then I just, I really wanted to, to turn my life into something good so he could see it. And the one male role model in my life, like, so he could just see it and be proud. And, you know, the day we buried him a couple of days later, I had to fly back to Indiana, Minnesota. It was in early April, got a, we had a blizzard the day we buried him. The blizzard started in the morning when we, like at the funeral service and just progressively got terrible throughout the day. So they didn't cancel the flight, but it was delayed. So I sat in the airport all day from like noon to like, I think my flight actually ended up taking off around 11 or 12. And I only remember this because the national championship game for basketball was that night and it was IU who was in the game. So I drank all day long, Cassie, all day. And it was the first time I ever drank to just to numb the pain. 
that sort of was like the beginning of alcoholism for me. Oh, yeah. You're trying to numb that pain, all that pain you're holding from everything stacking up in your life. Yeah, just drinking, drinking to deal with the problems. And that carried on for years. I just got really good at hiding it. You know, I graduated from school as somebody that was like this. I got married as somebody that was like this. You know, we have two kids. You know, when they were first born, I, I just, I just hid my drinking. My wife knew like I'd get out of hand. I had resentment, anger, a little bit of jealousy. I mean, even, even a little rage that came along with it. So I knew I just had to hide it. It just continually got worse. I mean, I got pulled over for drinking and driving during this time. I got fired from a couple of jobs. Not that, not, not because of drinking, but the drinking just took on a new meaning. I mean, I just drank even more when that stuff happened. And I always drank, 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 drank until one day I hit rock bottom in 2014. I just, I got so drunk. If you've ever been to Indiana, you'd know what euchre is. I don't know if you know what euchre is. I mean, what? I have no idea what that is. (laughs) It's a card game that I don't think anybody in the country knows unless you're from Indiana, but everybody plays euchre. I went to a euchre tournament that night. (laughs) That sounds awesome. And, you know, I had all these craft beers saved up for that night. I had all these expectations. It was going to be this great night. So essentially it was my birthday and it just didn't go as planned. And I came home and I just had this emotion i just i trashed our house kids weren't home my wife left and i just i trashed our house yeah i just trashed our house and that was to me like rock bottom it was march 8th 2014 which is the last time i ever drank anything and destroyed our house and thought i was gonna lose my marriage and get a divorce and all that and you know i thought i was gonna be the dad who never got to see his kids It just hit me like a ton of bricks. I just didn't know what to do. You know, it just seems like you had all this anger stacked up in yourself, right? So what was it that night that just made you break open that anger, let that anger out? What was the cause of that? Yeah, you know, I just had this and I still really struggle with like other people's expectations of me. And I think that just sort of boiled over. In this case, you know, my wife just happened to be the the person who had to deliver those expectations to me and not that she didn't do anything wrong or anything, you know, like resentment towards, towards her, towards living here, toward, you know, like I really love Minnesota and I live in the middle of a cornfield in Indiana. So just all these feelings combined with just being drunk. Yeah. Drinking can bring out the worst in a person. It, it, it did. It did. It did. It really, it really brought out the, the worst to me. I, I know I had like, you know, expectations of how I thought that night was going to go. And then it, it didn't go that way. I uh, acted like an idiot from what I remember, you know, at the Euchre tournament, you know, just embarrassed myself and embarrassed my wife. And So you came home and your wife saw you angry, drunk, and you trashed the house. Yeah. So what happened after that? How did you guys reconcile things? What did life look like after that night? Um, well, so I was working for that software company. The next day was my birthday. So we had a, my mother-in-law's birthday is the day after my, so I'm March 9th. She's March 10th. We celebrate together. So with the well, that's family. that's super nice um, of you to share yeah, your birthday. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. You know, I think, I think when I was a kid, I, that might upset me, but you know, so I went over there for, for lunch and um, with my wife who wouldn't even talk to me, didn't want to look at me at all. But the next day I had to leave to go. I was the speaker at a seminar in Nashville, Tennessee. So I had to leave and I still hadn't talked to my wife. So that first entire week I'm out of town. I can't eat. I'm certainly not drinking. 
and I just, I just feel like this nauseous feeling all week, like, like just a permanent hangover all week. She won't talk to me. I don't know what's going to happen. And I certainly don't know what to do, but I'm starting to come to grips with reality. Like I have a drinking problem, you know, like for the first time in my life, like it's like this confessing to myself and to somebody that I trust. Step one is like, it's beginning and I can't, I, there's nothing I can do about it. It's like, it, it's imminent. Like I can't drink anymore and I'm going to lose my marriage as a result of this. And my wife actually, so I sent her a few Facebook messages, like she wouldn't respond to text, but I wrote a really long Facebook message and I had asked for the number of somebody that she has a, a friend who's almost like a mentor who has a husband who's been sober for like, I, I, now it's like 31 years. So I had asked if I could talk to him. That was my my steps. So I confessed to him like a week later, we sat in his man cave and I told him what's going on and he'd given me some advice. And I talked to the pastor that married my wife and I, who told me about Celebrate Recovery. I remember showing up to Celebrate Recovery and really started to just sort of peel back all of those layers of everything that I've, you know, packed on over the, over the course of my entire life. And really found out, I think what recovery really, really is about. And it's probably like 60 days in, I met this guy who was a speaker that night. I serve on his board now. He was a guest speaker and he had talked about the idea of being guilted or being convicted. So being guilted meant I just basically go back to drinking and say, screw it. You know, like I've already screwed up enough. Doesn't even matter. Or I'm convicted. I stay the course and I really put my faith and trust in God. I came home that night just bawling. Like I, a grown man crying at recovery meeting is pretty common. <laughs> I, I came home that night and my wife was in the living room sitting on the couch and trusting God was really just a, an idea. It wasn't, it was just something you say. It's not something you actually do, but I was like, okay, okay. Well, you know, whatever's going to happen, it's going to happen. I'm convicted. I'm not going to drink again. Cause I still have kids, you know, but I came home that night and my wife, you know, just told me that she talked to me. She's like, Hey, can we talk? And she's like, I don't know what you're doing or what, you know, what's going on. But the person that you are right now I, I, is like the person that I thought I was marrying. And, you know, I support you. The kids love you. And we got your back and, you know, trusting God right in that moment, kind of whole new meeting. Like, cause I, I did, I like genuinely said, you know, whatever you want to happen. Okay. It's your will. It's your plan, not mine. And, um, his plan, you know, I felt like at that moment was, for me to be married to my wife, which I really desperately wanted to be, but I didn't promise anything. I never said I was going to change. I just, I just went, I just showed up and the thing, things got better. They dramatically got better drastically. Like things started to happen that I just, <laughs> you'd call me crazy. Like it just, I just, yeah, big things are happening. Big, big, yeah. I can't even describe the things that are good in my life that started to happen. And, uh, and all I did was just put all of my faith and trust in God and everything you think that would go along with that, you know, like, you know, studying, reading, I did these step studies every single week, you know, with guys in recovery I did for like three straight years, things just started to happen that were really good. And I, it was just a total testament to, to God. And the night I gave my testimony, the leader had come up to me, who's a friend of mine. And he had asked me if I would consider leading Celebrate Recovery. And I'm like, geez, I don't know. You know, I'm barely, I can barely stand and clap for the music. You want me to lead? <laughs> that is so, so cool. Oh, man. Yeah. To go from, you know, the point where you were at to now being a leader. That is just really, really cool. Things got good. 
Yeah. Once you began trusting in God and walking with him, things started happening for you in good ways. You were able to release that anger and those frustrations and the resentment you talked about. You were able to give that to God and trust in him. And that's really, you know, just being a Christian. God asks us to always trust in him with no matter what we're going through. And so I can see how that really plays out in your life now. Yeah, he definitely doesn't, he doesn't want the 99%. He wants the 1% you're not willing to give up. And mm, That is good. That I like that. So I want to know, Derek, what is the biggest thing that you feel God has taught you in your from everything that you went through in your past to now walking a life in sobriety? What is the biggest thing you've taken away from everything? I think it, it it kind of breaks down into to a few phases. So initially, recovery to me really looked like steps. You know, like you can't skip the steps. You can't like everything I did in my life. Like, is there cliff notes? Can I get through this faster? Like, there's you, you know, like is there a, is there a movie I can watch that there? You have you have to really just trust the process. And then it started to take this mold of you know, like recovery really is an opportunity. It's an opportunity to really look inside at things and start to understand why you're the way you are. You know, like a friend of mine said, you know, that I was in recovery with that he didn't want to go to a certain restaurant because he had a different type of addiction because he was afraid that he would encounter what he was addicted to. And I said, you know, to me, I didn't want, I, I really didn't want that for myself. I, I want to be able to face those things and, and have it not be, I didn't want it to be difficult. I just want to be able to look at the enemy, right? And say, no. So it really started to take the, the shape of an inventory, which is part of, you know, the steps of recovery. And, you know, as I get further and further and further along in, in recovery, it's still about these things, but there's two big things. God showed me that recovery does not end. There's no finish line. You're, you're always in recovery and it's not a bad thing. It's a good thing. And Recovery looks a lot like forgiveness. It's forgiveness of yourself, forgiveness from others, and accepting God's forgiveness. And oddly enough, they say that you're supposed to forgive yourself first, but I have yet to find that that is actually the reality. But if you were able to do that, it'd be so much easier to live your life without really accepting the forgiveness from others because God's going to forgive you right away. So yeah, that's, God started to open up all these doors and, you know, leading the recovery program, I really got to, to see firsthand what recovery looks like for everybody and it helped my own recovery. So. Right. Well, I have to ask, how long have you been sober now? Six, six and a half years. Six and a half years. Wow. That is something to celebrate. How awesome. Well, I have to say, I loved how you said that you are always in recovery. It doesn't end. I think that is an important thing for everybody to note because we can look at that ourselves, Mm -hmm. us who haven't gone through recovery, you know, from addiction or anything. But it's as long as we live in this world, right? As long as we live here, we are always going to be in recovery, because we were born sinners, right? And God died on the cross for our sins. And because of that, we are forgiven. But we have to continuously work on our relationship with Christ. 
it's in that building and that turning to him, having faith in Christ, that our relationship really grows. Typically, the reason you, you come into recovery is not the reason you stay. You know, like booze, alcohol is a surface level problem. It's a symptom of a bigger problem. And as you do your inventory, you start to realize like, you know what, I'm, <laughs> I struggle with anxiety. I have, I'm very codependent. Like, you, you, you know, once you dive into that inventory, you really start to understand. Yeah, I can only imagine so. all the things you learned about yourself as you went through that recovery, all the layers God was starting to peel back for you. That's a really good thing, though. That's really cool. Well, I have to ask you, do you have any advice for my listeners who may be going through addiction or any type of addiction, whether it's alcohol or whatever, but do you have any advice for them? Yeah, um, I do. First thing I tell them is it's really okay to struggle. You know, like, did you watch the Mr. Rogers movie? Mr. Rogers. Oh, oh, so, no, I haven't. Like, Beautiful day in the neighborhood. We well, should. So yes, it's actually so on my list. I truly believe that God allows struggling. He allows hurts to happen in our life because it brings in brings us closer to Him. You know, I really discovered my faith in, in God, like really started to put stake in what it meant. It was when I was at my lowest. And I think that's like what God would consider an extreme amount of faith. But the Mr. Rogers movie, Mr. Rogers would always ask somebody who was dying or somebody that was really struggling if they would pray for him. And his reason was, he goes, why well, just figure somebody in that situation is closer to God? Mm, yeah. So they probably have better access to him. And I, I, lo- I love that analogy because if you're struggling what an opportunity. Like God has an open door. You know, you, you have a, a key to his office and you can talk to him and you'll really feel his answers if you just listen. So perfectly okay to struggle. But I think as you get further and further into recovery and if you struggle and you're starting to put your faith in God and you're really trying to understand what that means, you have to, in my, in my opinion, you, you have to understand that God is limitless. He's not limited. He can answer in any way that he can whenever he wants. Right. You know, he's, he, doesn't, he doesn't need to communicate audibly with you. He can communicate any way that he wants to. And somebody once told me that, and I, I loved it. I stole it. I've said it more than three times, so it's mine. But that, <laughs> I like that. that God cannot be explained. Otherwise, he would just be a really cool guy. Mm, so true. And I know oh, we yeah. want to explain him, right? Like, I don't know if you know, like as Christians, like especially like lately evangelicals feel like they need to defend God as if God cannot defend himself. So you don't need to defend him. You, you, you need to, especially in recovery, especially in recovery, you're making amends, you're asking for forgiveness, you're working through all these steps. You know, you, you have to guard yourself. You know, this is, this is hard. You know, you, you gotta, you know, Read Ephesians and really understand the armor of God and guard and protect your heart because it's going to come under attack. And spiritual warfare is real, especially in recovery, especially in addiction. Oh, wow, Derek. That is good. I really like that. That is so true. Okay, so I have to ask you before we go, because I mean, we're coming to an end here, but I have to know, what does hope mean to you? I mean, that's almost a loaded question. I, I, <laughs> it definitely right. is. I mean, I know you told me you were going to ask it ahead of time, but I, uh, this is a, this is classic me right here. And I think this is, 
I think this is the case for a lot of people. You remember when you're a kid, somebody says, hey, don't get your hopes up. Usually it's your dad, right? Don't get your hopes up. You know, like, I want a Nintendo for Christmas. Don't get your hopes up. You know, like. <laughs> right. I've definitely right, been there. Right. I don't like that advice. Get your hopes up. Get your hopes up. Get, get, get them up as high as you possibly can. And, you know, there's you can use biblical references all day. You know, Hebrews 11.1 1 is perfect for, for that, right? But ever since I was eight years old, I have hoped to see my dad again. I mean, <laughs> I have to believe that I will. I have my hopes up. What does hope mean to me? Hope means that I need to tell everybody about it. Everybody should have some kind of hope. Especially now in our political right. climate and our climate with, you know, with this pandemic we're in, like you got to have some kind of hope and hope can be found in the smallest things. Like I'm smoking a turkey tomorrow on my <laughs> Traeger grill and I hope, I, I mean, I hope it tastes good. <laughs> you know, like I, I believe it will. You can find hope in so many little things, but I, I think hope is best when you share it with other people because it's contagious. Hope is contagious. Oh, man, that's good. I like that. I'm going to steal that. <laughs> Gotta say it three times. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, say it three times and then it's mine. Well, thank you so much, Derek, for sitting down with me today. I had so much fun listening to your story. Ugh, I learned so much from it. And I know it can't be easy to have these interviews right, right. over the internet but you did so well and i definitely enjoyed it thank you so much hope is contagious oh i love that hey i need help from you guys okay so if you know anybody who would enjoy the living in hope podcast i mean who wouldn't there are so many amazing stories on here but if you can think of a friend who listens to podcasts send them over this way show them some of these stories i really would love to get the word out about the living in hope podcast and really grow the audience because man people are being so vulnerable and sharing their stories and I want to get these stories to as many people as possible but anyways you guys have a great rest of your week and I will see you next Monday 